Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Welcome to Coin Church. I'm so excited to, to jump into this. Um, we have been going through the book of John for a handful of weeks, but I just, I like to change things up a bit. So we're going to pause on John and we're going we're gonna to go into a new collection of talks around the character of God. And it got me thinking when I was thinking about this, um, because in my mind, character has just been coming up on a regular basis in, in my own life and how I look at the world and we look at like everything that's happening around the world, right? We look at people that are doing really well or successful celebrities, um, guys that are on basketball teams that are crushing it and then they do something really, really not smart, foolish or stupid or dumb and it's just like done. And so it got me thinking like, Character, right? What is, what is character? And I started um, thinking about when I first made a really, really big character decision in my life. And it was when I decided to get married. And I'll never forget, I mean, if you knew me, I know there's some faces in the room that you like knew me in high school and junior high. And it's like, what happened to you, man? Like, wow. Um, there was a change. There was a shift. And, and the shift and change in me was I always knew about God. I was always raised in the scriptures and the word, but it was like I was, it was like a secondhand smoke. I was catching it, the faith from my mom or my dad or my brothers. And at some point I made it, I needed to make a decision for myself. And I knew, because I was always thinking about girls, and I was my I had a brother, Paul, who got married really young, and I'm like, I want to get married young. Everyone gets married not young. I want to get married young. But it wasn't just a reason. Like, I just wanted to. It was, it was a deep sense of a desire because I loved family. And, and I knew family meant everything to God. And that was one of the pillars I had in my life was to have a deep source of family and to live life. And, and, and I just feel like that's where so much joy comes from. And I, so I started making a decision that the person that I wanted to marry, she had to have some really good values. And you see, when we make decisions, we have to make decisions based off value. You have to. You have to make a decision based off the, the conviction of your heart. And so I remember as, as Kelly and I started dating again, because we were like on and off all throughout high school, and that was all me. And um, I went to Bible school, and I just got really serious with God, and I found my identity I think many of us, when we make not-so-smart decisions, it goes back to, well, what, what premise do you make these decisions off? What's the foundation that you think through, that you're processing when you make a decision? And for me, it always goes back to value. It goes back to character. It goes back to, well, what does God say about it? What does his word say about it? What, is, what does the virtues of scripture point to? And I just remember thinking like, okay, it's got to be someone, you know, you think about all those decisions, right? Well, how many children do you want to have one day, right? You're asking like really big questions. If I can say like, what are your values around some political stuff, right? Now, I'm not all about the political stuff, but like sometimes those decisions, not necessarily a person, but like the, the core reasoning behind your thinking goes back to a value. What do you think about family? What do you think about children, what do you think about gender? What do you think about alcoholism or, or, or this or that? And so I remember when Kelly and I started dating again, I was, like, um, I was like a doctor that just dug and dug and dug and dug and dug. So I would ask like a million questions to Kelly. But the thing was, watch this, Kelly wasn't really raised in the church. But yet, I knew a lot of other girls that were raised in the church but she had a deep sense of character, even sometimes more than the other women, than the other girls. She had kindness, and she was compassionate. She was really tender. I mean, I used to think she couldn't even hurt a butterfly. It's definitely not the case, in a good way. But I, I just, I, I remember looking at Kel when I came back from Bible school and thinking, like, well, she has to know that I'm called to be a pastor, and that's a different journey. And... I'm not going to back down, and I don't know what finances look like or career, and so I need to know, does she care about image? Does she care about that big house? Does she care about the cars and the immaculate stuff? Like, I needed to really know who I was going to spend the rest of my life with. 
Because you see, that's another value that I have. I don't believe in divorce. Now, Scripture says divorce is permittable. Jesus said when there is infidelity, right? And especially, I would even say, and Jesus would agree, and we can look through Scripture, when there's abuse, like physical abuse. Like God would never want you to be into that, right? That's a whole other conversation. But I just knew like, all right, this girl has to know my heart, and I need to know hers. But when I say heart, when I say decisions and say values, it all goes back to what is your cornerstone of thinking? And then it got me thinking, oh, like, I must base everything off of then, not the world's character, but God's character. So I want to talk today about the character of God. And in fact, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to read a passage of scripture in the book of Exodus that sort of gives a blueprint of the character of God. There's five distinctive definitions or attributes in the book of of Exodus that God speaks to Moses. And so then I was like, oh, I'm just going to jump right in. And it's the first one's compassionate. And I'm like, I'm ready to go and preach on being a compassionate person. And that's the characteristic of God. It's like, well, well, first we need to like ask the question, what is character? How do we define that? So if you have your your Bible in, in scripture, in the book of Exodus, starting at verse chapter 34, Starting at verse 4, it says this. So Moses, I'm going to read a good amount of scripture, so just hold on to your seat. But there's a reason for this, because I want to give an overview. This is the thesis statement of what character is in light of God. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. He carried the two stone tablets in his hands. These are the Ten Commandments, by the way. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. Another translation says, Yahweh, Yahweh. Here it is. There's five. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Let's not forget about that. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Interesting. We don't like reading that part. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, Yahweh, if I found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin. Remember, they were Egyptians, slaves, now they're in the wilderness, and God wants to be a people with them. Moses is contending for them. He's like, Yahweh, be our God, and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you, not a contract. contract you can get out of. A covenant is between you and God. Or two people, marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. Me and Kelly before God. It's sealed, it's done. A covenant. With you before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in the world. And the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the the Hevites, the Jebusites, all type of ites, right? Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going. Why? Or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles, which is they would worship to other gods and do some really weird stuff like orgies and It was wild. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Do you know that? God is a jealous God? That he wants to be yours? That he wants to lead you and guide you and and walk with you? But God has a particular roadmap. Do you know that? It's like if we were to be driving up, uh, Big Bear is probably not a good example because sometimes there's no railing on the side. It's like terrifying when you're driving. You're like, holy smokes, we could go over right now. But when there's railing, when you go into high places in a mountain, that railing is there for a purpose. It's like train tracks, right? 
there's a reason those tracks are there on purpose. It's, it's a guide. It's a measure. It's a direction. It's a vision of where we're going. Because who would we be if we just were aimless, if we had no aim? So when you look at the Bible, this is a collection of many ancient Israelite scrolls, okay? And together they're telling one unified story. Now, if you look at the second scroll, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, you'll find two important sentences. They're actually so important that they're referred and requoted over 20 more times within the Bible. Did you know that? Here it is. 20 more times all throughout the new and old. Yahweh, Yahweh. A God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. So how do we know if we should trust God? How do we know if we should put our faith in God? How do we know if we should allow our decisions to be based off what God wants, right? And unfortunately, there are so many people that have something to say about God, but they don't live the characteristics of God. We call those people, all of us included, let's just be honest, like hypocrites, right? Like, oh, those Christians, they're hypocrites. It's like, well, yeah, we're pretty messed up. However, we should live such a life that we fear God, we have reverence for God, that we want to live the way he is. He is these attributes. So why wouldn't I base my decisions, my thinking, my processing on him and his way? Is this making sense? So this is important because then it changes the way we pray. How so? When I'm praying to God... This book has changed my life. It's transformed me from the inside out. Even when I was a little boy, my mom would read to me every night the Bible stories. Mom, will you read the, the, the story of Samuel again? Because I'm Samuel. Like, well, tell me the story about Joseph again, because my middle name is Joseph. And I would listen to these stories as a young boy, six, seven, eight years old. Every night my mom would read the Bible stories to me. And it be, began to sink deep into my soul. So much so that the way that I viewed the world was based off the scripture. Now, I wasn't perfect. I made a lot of mistakes. Still do. But the foundation of me at the core knew this is God in his way. This is my way. Not good. I always tell men. There's three voices in the innermost part of your being. Three, I would argue. Maybe more. The first is your voice. And I don't know about you, man, but I don't want to listen to your voice. I don't want to listen to my voice. I don't trust myself that much. And maybe you do, and that, maybe there's another problem with that, right? I don't trust my voice because I'm not all-knowing. I'm not the great mighty counselor. I don't have it all figured out. I would say another voice is the enemy's voice. It's... The dark night that comes against you, it's the monster in the room, in your mind, in your thoughts. It's, it's the, the, the voice that says, you're not good enough. You will never amount to anything. How dare you think you could go do that? You're a rejection. You'll always be abandoned. You're not loved. In fact, you're ugly. You're broken. How dare you think X, Y. You see those voices? And that voice can get really loud. But there's another voice. It's a still, small voice. It's not found in the storm. It's not found in the fire. It's not found in the wind. It's the still, small voice Elijah discovered when he was depressed, that God was there. So you have to lean in because all the other voices get loud. But how will you know it's God's voice, your voice, or the enemy's voice if you don't know his word? Does that make sense? So every decision that I make, every when I, I, when I was about to marry Kelly, I'm like, oh, what does the Bible say about, like, is there one person in the whole world? Let me see if I can find that. Is she in Australia? When, like, where is she? <laughs> and I would search the scriptures, and I would find that a wise man fears God. A wise woman, a virtuous woman, places all her trust in the Lord. So then, every decision you make is based off of the, the, the word of God. It's based off the spirit of God. It's based off the characteristics of God. But again, what's the point of being compassionate 
if you don't have a moral fab, like fiber in your being or, or a conviction to be compassionate. So it's an argument to those that are maybe a little bit agnostic, meaning they believe in something but not quite sure. It could be this. It could be that. It could be the wind. It could be the storm. It could be the cards. It could be another voice. It could be the rocks. The rocks. They speak. They say something. It could be anything. And so we become a little bit agnostic, meaning we're looking for all knowledge somewhere, somewhere. How we just got to find this knowledge. Well, my Bible says the rocks worship God when we don't. The rocks don't have the answer. God does. So when I'm in a moment of deep despair, I don't go to a coach. I don't go to a friend. I don't go to my wife. Now I do, yes, but at the end of the day, when I go to those people, I go back to the throne room of God, and I base every decision based off the characteristics of God. Does that make sense? Now, I mess up. How about you? Right? Like a lot. We mess up. But the more, this is what we call discipleship to Jesus. We learn him. We learn him. I was thinking this morning, can I just be transparent, full transparency? I was thinking this morning when we're in discipleship with someone and we're walking with somebody, I'm like, gosh, Lord, how do I get someone thinking, processing, that's not of you, how do I just rewrite their mind so they get it? How do I do that? Like, can I do it quick? Like, because, man, like, we need to get this done quick. It's like, oh, no, it's they have to do it. How dare you think you could do that, Sam? Like, ah, oh, how do I know that? Because it's in here. God knows the thoughts of every man and every woman. God knows everything you think. I don't. In fact, God knows your motives. That's heart. And your heart is connected to your values. And your values are connected to your character. Is this making sense? So, I want to talk about character for the next couple of weeks, specifically and primarily the character of God. And my hope is that when we look at God and his character, we start to see and discover that's how we have to take on character. Character is defined as strength of moral fiber. A.W. Tozer, a, a dense theologian and writer and literature author, described character as the excellence of moral beings. Character is the excellence of moral beings. As the excellence of gold is its purity, the excellence of gold is purity, right? And as the excellence of art is its beauty, the excellence of art is its beauty and it's, it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's glorious. So persons of character are noted for their honesty, their ethics, their charity. It's the excellence then of man is his character. The excellence of man is his character. It's not how much money he has or she has in the bank. It's not how many followers you do or don't have on Instagram. It's not the degree you have or don't have. It's not the knowledge you think you have or don't have, right? It's, it's not any of those accolades. The excellence of man is his character. So descriptions such as man of principle or woman of integrity are assertions of character found in scripture. A lack of character is moral deficiency. Persons lacking character tend to behave dishonestly, unethically, and uncharitably, or just they're just not generous. Because if you're not generous, it's about you. It's self. It's any relationship you're in, how can I take from you? What can I get from you? What can you give me, man? Kevin, what do you, is there something you can give me? That's, that's not good character. A man that knows who God is and knows his worth, a woman who knows her worth says, I don't really need to get anything from you. What can I give you? What can I place in your life? What can I encourage you with? What can I speak into you? Which, by the way, side note, is why we have like a relational situationship all the time problem because women or men don't know their value so then they're looking for quote love in all the wrong places thinking you can give me something 
that's actually defined by lust. There's something that you have that I need. Give it to me. That's opposite of generous. Does that make sense? All right, we don't have to go into that. So character is a big deal then to me, to you, to God, character is. For many reasons, it's nearly impossible for anyone to have a deep sense of character, in my personal opinion. I could argue, I'm sure we can argue against it, unless they look beyond themselves. I would argue it has to come from a higher power. My higher power is God, the only God, the capital G God. There's a lot of other lowercase G gods in this world. A lot. And the Old Testament shows it. Like, actually, it was a real thing. They knew that in certain territories, there were particular gods, lower G gods, that ruled and reigned in those regions. Now, we might not view them as like spiritual beings, but they're there. And they're gods that if we're not careful, we will worship. And watch this. Whatever you behold, you become. Whatever you worship, you admire, you love, you adore, and then your character is formed by that God. So I got to worship, like, Jesus. (laughs) I got to worship him above everything and everyone else. This is why with God, we find our moral fiber. We find right and wrong. We find true and just. We look at virtues and values. Um, The other day, Thomas and Sarah were over at our house, and, and Sarah Where's Sarah? She's around here. She's somewhere. She asked really good questions, like really good questions. I'm like, man, Sarah, you're pretty deep. And one of the questions, I think it came up about like ethics, like ethical, how do you make ethical decisions? Because in life, the, the definition of ethics is just, right, it's a deep sense of morality. But we have ethical dilemmas all the time, right? And so in ethics, sometimes it's not even the right answer. It's just the better answer. So an example would be, and so watch this. Some of you already have the answer like this. Boom, got it. Others have to really think about it because it's a dilemma. Now, when I was in, in college, I, ha- I took two ethic classes, one in my undergrad, one in my master's, and both of them were not fun because it hurts your head. But like the first one, when I was in undergrad, we would always argue about, and I'm like, this is really easy, just lie. And we give you an example. If we were in the Holocaust, right? And uh, I'm a German soldier, which I have German in me. My mom's maiden name is Pfau, P-F-A-U. That's like really good, like big German, like a smith in America is like the Pfau in Germany. Anyway, if I was a German and I was holding Jews in my basement and a soldier comes, but I'm a Christian, I'm ethical, I say the truth. Are there any Jews here? I remember we used to argue in our undergrad. Well, yeah, and it's just like, dude, it's really simple. No, there's no Jews. See you later. (laughs) Right? But there's other people that really struggle with ethics. To me, that's silly. But remember, it's a bigger good. It's not always the necessarily right answer. It's the better answer. But then there's harder decisions, and now you, you can think through this on your own. But again, I go back to my values. The, the, the dilemma was, and I had to write a paper on it, you're married, your wife is pregnant, she has cancer. The last stage, it's like, it's coming soon. And the doctor says, hey, um, we can abort the child and mom will live. Or, and she still might like run the course of dying, there's like, it's a big chance, but not as much as if we abort the child. Or or mom lives, um, or, or she goes through chemo, the baby doesn't live, but mom lives. So which one do we want to do? Do we want mom to live or baby to live? Do we want a higher percentage of mom or a higher percentage of baby? Hard, that's really hard, right? Now, when you make an ethical decision, you base it off character, not feelings. Take feelings out of the way. What does God say? What are his values? What are the decisions we need to make? It's not a good response regardless. We just have to figure out what's the better good. Now, that stuff might hurt your head, and you might already have an answer like that. I didn't. I had to really think on that and and process it. That's why I love school. I love it so much. You know why? It makes you think. You just got to think really hard. You got to write a paper, and you have to have an introduction and a body, and you have to get all these commentaries, like 25 different resources, and you got to read other minds and process. And so it's not about the school for me. It's about the learning. 
I'm expanding my mind. I'm not like thinking closed-minded. I got to think open-minded. And so I just remember thinking, oh, this is why it's so important for us to have character, to know what God says about things and people and places. So in the early 4th century, a monk named Evagoras Ponticus came up with a list of cardinal sins. I'm sure you've heard that name, cardinal, right? It comes from the, uh, Catholicism in the sense that these foundational sins led to other sins. That's why they're called cardinal sins. In AD 590, Pope Gregory revised this list to form the modern concept of the seven deadly sins. You want to know what they are? These seven deadly sins, they echo into other sins. So they're like the cardinal sins. You ready for them? They're terrifying. Lust. Lust about self. Gluttony. Yes, about food, but also it's deeper than that, right? Greed. The love of money. Sloth. Laziness. And oftentimes spiritual laziness. Wrath. Envy and pride. Those are the seven deadly sins. That if you're not careful, those things will kill you. But there's an, an, there's, an, there's an antithesis to that. There's the opposite, which is accompanying the, the list of the seven deadly sins is a list of the seven virtues. So here's the seven virtues. You ready for them? I hope you guys are all good with this teaching. Good? All right. The first is prudence. These are so ancient, they even come from philosophy. Like theologians agree with with some of the philosophers. It's like, yes, this is the foundation to God and the scripture and his goodness and his character. Prudence is the ability to find the good in every situation and then choosing the right means of achieving it. You can find the good, but you might not make the good decision, right? So that's prudence. The next is fortitude. I love fortitude. Here's why. Fortitude makes you stand firm. When temptation comes, when difficulties comes when the rains and the storm comes the ability to overcome fear and other obstacles in one's moral life this is a virtue of fortitude i will not back down i will not bow to pharaoh to pharaoh right i will not no i'm not going to live in fear i'm going to walk forward i'm not going to let this i'm, I'm going to only answer to god not man that's fortitude the next is temperance which is the balance in the use of created goods, using pleasure in moderation and seeking that which is good. That's temperance. Faith is the virtue by which one believes in God and believes that he has said and revealed what is true. He's a true God. He's a good God. He's a loving God. So I'm going to have faith in him. Another word for faith is trust. Do you have faith or do you have trust in God? Do you really believe what he says? Do you believe the God of the Bible? The next is hope, a desire for the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as one's happiness, placing one's trust in Christ, promises, and relying on the grace of the Holy Spirit. And the last is charity or generosity. Here it is. Love for God above all else for his own sake and love for one's neighbor as oneself for the love of God. So it's really hard for me to be generous if I don't know how to love me well, the way God loves me. Did you catch that? Let me say it another way. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But how can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't know how to love yourself the way God loves you? Can I, can I paraphrase it? It's, it's gonna get a little bit more spicy. Love, <laughs> maybe not, that's why. <laughs> Trust, I don't even remember the scripture now. Um, instead of it being neighbor, right? What's the passive scripture? You guys messed me up. Um, what is it? <laughs> love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and not your neighbor, love your wife. As you love yourself. How can you love your wife well if you can't love you well the way God loves you? Love your boyfriend well. How can you love your boyfriend well if you don't know how to love you well the way God loves you? Love your children well. How can you love your children well if you don't know how to love you the way God loves you? So this is character at its core. The love of the Father, the compassionate God, the kind God, the faithful God. We must take on the attributes. All right.
that's a high aim, isn't it? I love Jordan Peterson because he's a deep mind. He says, when you aim in anything, if you want to, like, go for it in career, whatever it is, aim high. Just aim high, man. Like, shoot for the stars. And so for me, that's a, that's a character thing. Why? Because God makes it clear when he tells Abraham, I'm going to give you many children. So Abraham didn't believe it. You know what God told Abraham? Go outside of your tent and look at the stars. Count them. Try to count them. That's how many children you're going to have, Abraham. That's a big God. That's a God that says aim high, right? So if God says that to Abraham, then why wouldn't I think that God's going to say that to me? Aim high, Sam. With Lenya and Zoe as my daughters, whatever they want to do, I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, that's good. Aim higher. What else do you want to do? Aim big. Go for the stars. Go, go big, man. Let God be your dream. Don't think small. Don't think down. Don't think petty. Don't think depressed. Don't be anxious. Think big. Think God. Because when you do that, it does something internally to you. So here it is. I had to, I had to quote this again because it was just so good. So if you're writing notes, please write this down. The excellence of gold is its purity. The excellence of art is its beauty. So the excellence of man is his character. A person's character is the sum of his or her way of being, living, thoughts, intentions, desires, and actions. It is at the deepest core of who you are. It's a good reminder that character is gauged by general tendencies, not on the basis of a few isolated actions. Can I go deeper on this? What I'm trying to say here is you can't say some, this is cancel culture, by the way. You can't disregard the whole person because of one little mistake. No, I need to know the whole story. I need to know how you were when you were younger. I need to know your story. I need to know how you thought, how you processed, how you. And so for me in my life, I'm thinking of my story when I'm in my 70s. What will the story of Sam Flores be? What will the story of Coin Church be? And so that means that every decision I make now is going to affect the decision of tomorrow. It's cause and effect. That's just called wisdom. So a foolish man doesn't care. It's like aimlessly making decisions. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do this. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah, and it's just like, then it's just like all hell breaks loose over your life, and you fall, and you fail, and you crumble. And so I remember as our church started to grow a little bit, it would make me a little nervous. You want to know why? Because I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's uncomfortable to have all eyes on you. It's a little uncomfortable. And some of you remember me in high school, right, Jamie, where it's like, I was like the guy in uh, ASB, and when we would do the assemblies, I had the mic. Like, what's up, everybody? And I had like Tarzan on, and I'm like giving, you know, it, but I remember then, I didn't really care. Like, I cared, but it was a different weight as it is now. Because I represent the king. You represent the king. You represent his character. People are watching you. Man, your children are watching you. What you say and what you don't say, how you act and how you don't act. You are a representation of God. Paul would say you're an ambassador of Christ. That means, you know what that means? You're the representative. When they have a big meeting in other parts of the world, there's an ambassador of America that goes on behalf of the president and speaks on behalf of him. So whatever room you're in, whatever space that you occupy, you are an ambassador of Christ. If your character is not right, it doesn't look good for the country. It doesn't look good for the kingdom. And so for me, it's like, oh man, um, I can see how people fall. Because when the weight gets heavier, if you don't have good character, you'll just slip. There's been moments in my life where I've been thinking, man, everything's so good. Wow, why is it so good? Like, there's no problems. I haven't had any bad calls. No one wants to leave the church and fight me. I didn't say something wrong. Man, this is good. And then in my back of my head, I'm like, yes, yeah, so don't mess up. Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that, I don't think that's God's voice. However, God's voice says, go deeper with me. Get foundational, Sam. Go way deep. Dig a deep, deep well with me, and you're going to be all right. 
Uh, my mom sent me a, a video of, of uh, Billy Graham in his last days, and he's like, man, I, I just went for it. I was young, and God took a hold of my life. I didn't believe, and then I believed because I had faith. And he's like, I'm ready to go whenever he wants to take me. And the thing I love about men like Billy Graham is they had so much character, you can't say anything bad about them. Does that make sense? So it's like for me, it's like, okay, I have to be the type of man, you have to be the type of woman that as you grow in your discipleship to Jesus, the decisions you make are more are God decisions, not your decisions or the enemy's decisions. Because what happens is it, it starts to destroy and tear up, apart the, being an ambassador. Does that make sense? Okay, so... We must look at the whole life. For example, King David was a man of good character. Did you know that? He was a man of good character. However, he made some bad decisions. 1 Samuel 13, 14, Samuel tells Saul this. He's looking to David, by the way. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure, Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Although he messed up on occasion... David did. God said, no, David, you're in charge because you're a man after my heart. You fear me. And although King Ahab, which Ahab was married to Jezebel, that's a whole other conversation. Ahab may have acted nobly once, the Bible says. He was still a man of overall bad character. This is what the Bible says about King Ahab. This is really sad. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. You don't do that. God said not to do it to Moses. And did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. I do not want to be known for that. <laughs> Several people in the Bible are described as having noble character. Ruth, it's spoken of Ruth. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Hananiah in Nehemiah 7.2, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he, Hananiah, was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. Like, I want to be known for that. You fear God. You have awe of God. The decisions you make, the conversations you have, the things that you do are all based off of the values, the character of God. David, in Psalm 78, 72, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands he led them. In Job, it says in Job, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. You see, character is influenced and developed by our choices. Every choice you make will affect your tomorrow. Real simple, right? That's like elementary school thinking. But we don't like to think like that sometimes. So we make decisions off of emotion. We make decisions off of a wound. We make decisions off of an insecurity. We make decisions not off the word of God, but off of the word of man. So we'll listen to man more than we listen to God. Last I checked, I got to listen to God instead of man. And so the decisions that we make will determine our character. They influence. Daniel resolved not to defile himself in Babylon. It says in Daniel 1.8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He's like, I'm not going to eat that food because that's not what I want to do. Get over it. It's me and God. And the godly choice was so important that it forms a secure and unmovable integrity in any young man or woman's life. The decisions you make will actually make you more strong. It will actually, when they're good character, they make, they make you un unmovable the more you go deeper with God. Is this making sense? So the scripture says, in Proverbs, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their dishonesty and deceit. Character will help us weather the storms of life and keep us from massive failure. Proverbs 10.9, whoever walks in integrity walks, in secu walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. 
You know, um, I, I always, I'm, I'm a younger pastor. I'm 30, okay? I'm 30. But I, when I look, there has been an epidemic of pastors failing. Boom, boom, they're just dropping. Boom, boom, drop, 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 drop. And when you look, it's usually the ones that have a, a lot of influence. And so then you start to realize, oh, character or talent got you there, man. But character will sustain you. Character will keep you. Character will make you kind of like a Billy Graham that says, no, I'm not going to be moved on X, Y, and Z. And just recently, I won't say the man's name, but it broke my heart because I'm like, how do you get to that point, man? Where a church that's growing and booming, we find out that the pastor was sending inappropriate text messages to a young girl at the church. It's like, what are you thinking? And what it does to me is it, it, it tells me, oh, man, I, I get it, though I would, like, never do that. But I get it because your eyes were not on God. Your eyes were on something else. And the more you put your eyes on something, that whatever you worship, whatever you behold, you become. And so we have to be really care, careful, not just in the church world, but, like, what does this look like for you in your life? Right? In your marriage, when you're on social media or Instagram or TikTok, what are you watching? Where are your eyes? Because it starts to add up. When you're thinking in your thoughts and you're processing and you're getting upset and it's building up and then you make decisions based off that frustration, where where do you go? Oh, you're not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking about the things of man. So you have to premise your decisions based off of faith and based off of God and based off of character. Romans says this as we finish, not, also, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. First Peter 3, 1 through 9 says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Did you know that? The spirit of God's power has given you everything you need. You can, you can handle it. You can do it. The more you lean on his word and not on your own understanding, you will get through the day. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Just add to your faith goodness. Can you try that? Goodness. And then to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Christ. But whoever does not have them, is nearsighted and blind. Do you want to be nearsighted and blind? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I really believe this. My mom told me this, that when her and my father were starting to go to church and they were in their 20s, they just got married. She said, I'm so glad of the mentors that your father had, that dad had, because there were particular pastors that would say things, and he would just take it in like a sponge. And there was one particular pastor she told me about that he just spoke on the Ten Commandments, and he said, if you just listen to this, your life will go well with you. It's that simple, guys. If you just listen to what God says to do, your life will go well for you. It doesn't mean you will escape suffering. It doesn't mean you will escape heartache. But if you listen and you obey, if you listen and you obey, your life will actually go well with you. She's like, I'm so glad that we caught that and that dad caught that. Because now it's just like, just obey God. Sam, it's simple. Just obey God. Just do what God says to do. And I just think like in all, we must look to the character of God as our foundation, as our guide, as our roadmap. So my friend, like, can I just stop listening to the world? Like stop going to the world for answers. Stop going on WebMD. Seriously. Stop typing in how to get out of anxiety in Google. 
How do I stop being depressed? How do I find Prince Charming? Right? Whatever it is you say. You say something. You say something. Come on. But instead of having these these responses, why, why not just say, how can I dig a very deep well with God? Because I know that he forms me, that he does something in me. How can I get the internal structures of the spirit of God within me? How can I get this word planted in my heart, planted in my being? How can I do that? Well, you got to study it. As Jeremiah said, you have to devour it. It has to be everything that comes out of your mouth. That's when you know you're walking in wisdom. When someone says something bad about you, instead of thinking a negative thought, even though the negative thought comes, you know how to combat that thought because that's not the thought of heaven. That's the thought of hell. That's the thought of this world. But the more you listen to those thoughts, your life will not go well with you or for you because the decisions you make, the choices you make, they influence you. I'll go as far to say the choices you make today create your future. And so you know what that means? I got to get out of the way of me. Like, I really believe in the spirit of God, church. I do. I don't just, like, talk about it and think about it and preach about it. No, like, I really believe that people sometimes are demon-possessed, that they're afflicted by demons, that the enemy has come to lie to you so much you don't even know it's the enemy. I believe that there are Christians that live their whole lives not pursuing life and life to the full, as John 10, 10 would say. And I don't want that for me, but my friend, I don't want that for you. But I can't do it for you. Like, I can't be your savior. And I get worried when I'm around people that have a savior complex. Because that'll jack you up, man. Because you're not God. We make crummy gods. We make, we become selfish, and it's about us, and it's about me, instead of it being charity and generosity, instead of it being prudence, instead of it being faith and hope and love, instead of it being self-control. So the God that we serve is a compassionate God. He's a faithful God. He's a gracious God. He's a God that's slow to anger, and his love endures forever. So the more I can catch wind of him, the more I can transform my life and the lives around me. How about you? Where are you in this journey? Do you struggle with these things like I do? Do you struggle with anger at times with your little ones? Come on, we're at church. <laughs> like, Lenya, come on. Why don't you listen? Kelly's like, she's three, Sam, we got to work through it. (laughs) But as you work these things out, your life becomes a life of love. That's the end result here. If your life is not becoming more loving, you're following the the wrong rabbi. It's It's not Jesus of Nazareth if the person you're becoming is not a person of love. It's not a person of generosity. It's not a person of giving of yourself. It's not a person of faith. It's not a person of hope. It's not a person of seeing the good in it. Listen, we can become victims. Yes, that's true. But it's your choice to become victimized. I'll say it again because I think that's really good. We can become victims. That happens. But it's your choice to become victimized. That's on you. That's your choice. That's your decision that you premise from your mind that you hear from God that you see in heaven whatever's in heaven needs to come down to earth in your life and in my life will you stand with me as we worship as we lean in I just want to pray for, um, for us in the room, and, um, and we're just going to worship, and we'll finish here. Uh, Jesus, I just come before you right now over every human being, over myself, God. Uh, this conversation was for me, Lord, as well. I, I just pray that you would refine in us the character of God, um, that you would do such a work that we would stop walking blind 
but we would open up our eyes and see maybe there's some defects, maybe there's some defaults, maybe there's some things that we're doing that are not of you, God. And so I gotta, I gotta erase, I gotta ruthlessly get rid of those things because I want more of you. Father, I pray over every marriage in this room. God, I know that there is an attack of the enemy over marriages and we just speak life over marriages. God, I speak that men and women would become vulnerable. I pray, Father, for the singles in the house as they struggle and as they wrestle, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't look to lust, but they would look to love. I pray, God, for the person in the room that is so deeply in pain right now, that there are new days ahead, that there is light at the end of this tunnel, that God begins to work all things out for his glory. So whatever trial or tribulation, whatever challenge you're in, look to God because he's saying something. He's refining something. He's transforming something within you. I pray, God, for this nation. I pray, Father, for Israel and for Syria and for Iraq and for all of the countries around the war and the brokenness and the bitterness. God, you love all people, but you do not tolerate evil. You are a gracious God, but you also bring justice. And so, Father, as audacious as this prayer is, whatever injustice is in me, bring justice to it, God. Refine me, put me through the fire. I want to be a man of character. I want to be a man that fears you. I want to have women and men in this church that fear you above all else. Don't look to them. Don't look to themselves. Don't look at whatever it is about. Like, just look to you. I pray that we would be a, a church of strong men and women that fear you and love you and worship you. That we would become a family. That we would become a people. But it's only possible, God, until we get out of the way of us. So do it, Father, in us. We make room for your presence. Make room to define us from the inside out. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.